Welcome to Final Fantasy Weekly. I'm Drew Kreisman. And I'm Ira Kreisman. And on this episode, we continue our conversation on Final Fantasy Tactics. When last we left our heroes, tragedy struck at Fort Zeekden. When Delita Hyrule's sister Titra was murdered right before our very eyes by that rat bastard Argoth at the direction of Ramzabale's older brother Zalbag and uh, presumably Dystarg as well. <laughs> you know, it's, right, it's just right. he wasn't there, but he's not off the hook for any of this. And it all ended with this massive explosion whereupon we got that final bit of dialogue, Ramza talking about walking away from his life, presumably by that meaning leaving House Bale, no longer being a part of this conflict, no longer, you know, the words of Miluda and Wygraf at the death of Titra, and he must believe at that moment the death of his friend Delita, Ramza walks away from his house. Yeah, and... I mean, if that didn't do it, then he would not be a hero. Yeah. Uh, and I do think it is fair to say, even though heroics are in, in, in such a war, one, hard to come by, and two, probably a good way to get a start killed, right? And end up dead, yeah. Yeah, so it's... The, the fact that ultimately I do feel like he and some of his future compatriots are heroic uh, you know, have have good aims and and do things that put them in danger, uh, that put themselves in danger for the greater good. It, it's still hard to say hero when all of what's happening is happening. Sure, right. So after that, we get a, a time jump. Remember, we had this whole beginning chapter, this first chapter of the game has been 90% flashback, right? We had the little cold open at the very beginning of the game. We were out at this monastery where Ramza and Gafgarian, who are introduced as sellswords, show up and witness the kidnapping of Princess Ovelia, uh, much to the chagrin of her knight, Agreus. Agreus. We go back and forth on that one. Um, and that is where our story resumes at this point. So... You know, there's this year-long jump again back to where we started the story. And now we've got this understanding, a very complete understanding of why Ramza is surprised to see that Delita is not dead. In addition to all of the questions about why is he kidnapping the princess? As he said at the beginning, why does he fight under the banner of Duke Goltana? What, you know, in the world is going on? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So we basically get right back into one of my favorite ongoing tropes and one of the few places where we do get levity in this story, which is the ongoing back and forth between Agrius and Gafgarian. And it's funny because it's it's very serious and it's very real, but it's also hilarious. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad that she, she won't let him get away with... Maybe every once in a while he gets a dig in and she doesn't respond. But usually it's every every time he says something sh- shitty, she comes back with, hey, listen here, yeah. asshole. Or the, yeah. <laughs> the, the Ibelissian equivalent thereof. Right. 
So they basically have this back and forth where Agrius, of course, is going to give chase. She's going to go after the princess. She must try to to rescue the princess. And Ramza hops in and says, you know, I'm I'm going to go with you. I've I've got to find out what's going on with my friend Delita. Of course, Gafgarian's initial response is, uh, that's not covered by our pay. I find <laughs> it interesting. And there's there's a reason for it we'll get to. But, you know, you would be right to question, why does Gafgarian say, okay, fine, we'll go with you just because Ramza wants to? That doesn't seem his style. It. it- I got the impression the first time I was reading this or playing this, I should say, I was under the impression that even though he was rough around the edges, that Gafgarian will ultimately be one of our, you know, st- steadfast companions, <laughs> right? Like, sure, right. Gladio is kind of a, an asshole to knock this every once yeah. in a while, but he's a good dude and, and we like him. I kind of yeah. felt, I thought Gafgarian was going to be that. Yeah. Uh, or like maybe various SIDS or whatever, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah. So, uh, again, after a little bit of back and forth, they do decide, okay, we're going to, we're, this is our mission. Now we're going to go after the princess mainly, you know, everyone's got their own reasons for doing it, but everyone's got reasons for doing it. And Gafgarian sort of gives this, you know, as all, sort of cynical warriors who feel like they're getting pulled into. I feel like this is a a fun trope. You know, it gives a line about, well, I guess we're going, you know, gods know where this path will lead us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And that technically is the end of chapter one. I think it's really interesting that they could have had the end of chapter one be the, you know, the blackout when Ramza leaves his house and, and Delita and, his sister presumed dead his sister actually dead but that they do this little book ending of this scene at the monastery i think is really clever really smart and well done i i also like that because there there is sort of a you you see this in tv a lot where the, the characters you've known for six seasons now suddenly hate each other at the beginning of this episode and what is going on and why is that person arresting that person or whatever and then 36 hours earlier or whatever. And I get real sick of that trope. But in this case, the flashback is important because it's the kidnapping of Ovelia that really is going to set off the War of the Lions, right? So starting with that impetus, I think is a good call, but then taking us back a year or two or however long it is uh, into the past to show us who Ramza and Delita are and why they do what they do is also important. So I I agree. Having it bookend, uh, oh my gosh, Delita's alive. And then let's go save the princess. Makes sense. Yeah. And thus begins chapter two, the manipulative and the subservient. Man. This has got to be the chapter where the good things happen, right? <laughs> this is, I will say, have we mentioned that the writing in this is quite good? It's, I feel like it's been a little while. Yeah. The manipulative and the subservient. Yeah. All right. Here we go. So uh, I do want to jump in here and try to outline a bit of what's happening and why. And then and then talk about all that in the context of our actual characters. So there is a mechanic in this game where when you're at a location, if it's a, a, a town or a city, you can go to the bar and listen to rumors or get certain uh, jobs that we'll probably save for later. 
Uh, you can go to the item store, you can recruit people and so on and so forth. So I want to talk for a moment about the rumors. Because we talked an episode or two ago about the 50 Years War, which is the war we're just getting off of. Um, it was this big war of succession. And I, I mentioned that like we kind of don't really know what's going on there. Well, actually, there is. You can, If you go into the rumors, you can read about the 50 Years War. And it's it's not quite a short story here. And I'm not going to read yeah. it because there's a lot going on with a lot of names that you won't see anywhere else. And it doesn't matter. I mean, it matters because it's part of what sets off the war to come. But almost none of these characters who are mentioned here, except for Sidolphus Orlando, who will show up later, uh, and and uh, Papa Beowulf, who we've already talked about, really, yeah, that really have anything to do with it. But the information is there. Now I, now, I say that only to explain that there are these other rumors that I am going to read some of because it's going to explain what the War of the Lions is, who the players involved are. Let's go through four of them. The first is in the wake of the king's demise. So we talked about uh, last episode, I think, that the king's still hanging on, but he's very sick. Uh, well, now, a year later, or you know, <laughs> back, back in present times, the king has died. So, right. since the death of King Andoria III, Queen Luveria's campaign to seize total control of the government has proceeded apace. All who oppose her, even members of the council, are mercilessly stripped of their rank. Even the queen mother, who had openly criticized the actions of her son's wife, was banished to the Munahan, never to return. Her fate is unknown, although some say she was poisoned. Alright, so the king is dead. Her wife, the queen, is trying to take control. She's even uh, exiled her mother-in-law and possibly poisoned her. Okay. Brutal. That's one of those things that it's a quality setup for your, you know, world uh, reminder. Uh, you're on brink of, or maybe even to Mad King, Mad Queen territory here, right? That's it's important to understand that. Next, the Dukes Larg and Goltana. Duke Larg, true-born brother of Queen Luvira, and Duke Goltana, cousin to the late king, are locked in a fierce political struggle for control of Ivalis. This is, could almost be a newscast, right? Both right. men hope to be appointed guardian of Prince Orneus, and thus gain the title and authority of regent. Although the queen supports Duke Larg, a goodly number of nobles and council members appear to back Duke Goltana, and there are rumors he may be officially appointed regent ere long. Drew, back to you. <laughs> More details tonight at 10. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, exactly, right? Like, that's exactly what it would be if it had taken place in a time with radios or, or television, right? That's in this kind of world, in this kind of time. You, you hear that, I guess it's rumors at the bar, but that's where you, you get your information. You sit down and, and people go, yeah, here's what's going on. And, uh, uh, yeah, I love the way all of that is stated. It's very clearly a political drama, like even the way you just delivered it. Like it sounded like uh, a report you would hear today on like po political polls, like these people support this person. These people support that person. They're hoping to sway this important person in the middle so that they can have more power over the people they're going to make the rules for. Like, Boy, we sure do. Humanity sure does have a type, don't we? Oh, geez. Uh, the third rumor, widespread peasant revolt. Peasants riot throughout Duke Goltana's province of Zeltenia. 
This sudden outbreak of civil unrest stems from the unanticipated loss of crops due to last year's drought, coupled with the burden of taxes that have been steadily rising since the end of the Fifty Years' War. I'm not sure that's an unanticipated if the drought was last year and somebody's imposing the burden of taxes, but okay. A group of former knights calling itself the Order of the Ebon Eye appears to be fomenting the violence, even as Baron Grimm's Black Ram Knights struggled to contain it. So we got this political stuff going on with the, the nobles, and then we've got the peasant revolt because there's no food, and they're taking our money. And if George Lucas taught us anything about the importance of your political trauma, it's that taxes better be in there somewhere. And he wasn't wrong. Like, we give him shit, and we should, but also, he wasn't wrong. I actually love that the tax... I actually love that it's all about trade federation stuff at the beginning. Absolutely. Locked those people's resources. I mean, war more often than not, and this game is getting back to that, too. You know, especially, you know, those who actually fight in the war. For the people at the top, it's about power and nobility and family lineage and all that crap, which is what we're highlighting here, right? For the people at the bottom, it's about resources. It's about the ability to live and survive and have a family and have a business. And, you know, it's, yeah. The, the, so it almost always comes down to that. So that's why the normal people rebelling here is an important part of the four pillars that you're highlighting. I wonder if there is a modern day parallel. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, you I know. even mentioned, what are, what are you and I going to do if Putin invades, right? And now Putin right. has invaded. And you and I can't do anything except perhaps drop parallels to these, uh, to the pop culture, to the to the literature that we right. consume. Right, right. All right. The last rumor I want to read is Princess Ovelia kidnapped, and that gets us up to where we are in the story. Princess Ovelia has been kidnapped from the Orbone Monastery. Witnesses claim the knights responsible bore the crest of the Black Lion, leading many to conclude that it was the work of Duke Goltana's Order of the Southern Sky. The Duke, however, denies involvement and is dispatching a search party in an effort to prove his innocence. Given the unrest in Zeltenia, it seems doubtful he will be able to spare many men for the effort. Yeah, so in other words, it's real complicated out here and it's about to get even more so. So let me try to sort of... I condense this real quick, and I'm going to read some from just a Final Fantasy wiki, which is an excellent resource for us in particular, but just in general if you're interested in, right? The War of the Lions is fought between the Order of the Northern Sky uh, of Duke Larg under the banner of the White Lion and the Order of the Southern Sky of Duke Goltana under the banner of the Black Lion. So Larg, North, White, Goltana, South, Black. That's why it's the War of the Lions. King Ondoria at Kashka III died due to the Black Death, and his heir, Prince Orneus, is just two years old. That's why we need a regent. That's what Larg and Goltana are fighting over. So a regent is sought to rule in the prince's place, and both dukes, who were decorated generals during the Fifty Years' War, were nominated as regent. One of the main reasons behind the war is the rift between Queen Luviria and the nobles of Ivalis. So Queen Luviria is Orneus's mother. Queen Luviria is regarded as, as a power-mad queen who desires her offspring on the throne so that she may rule the kingdom. The Council of Nobles, out to stop her from asserting influence onto the kingdom, appoints Duke Goltana as their preferred candidate for regency. So, the king died. His wife, 
who has already had two sons. Ornias is her third son. She wants the power. So she enlists her brother Larg to be the regent. The council members don't like her for a variety of reasons, so they nominate Goltana. Now we got to fight. Now, nowhere in here have we mentioned Ovelia. So what has she got to do with anything? Well, Princess Ovelia is the sister of the now dead king. Sister by a different mother, right? So just like Ramza uh, and Alma are, are bastards to the Beowulf line, uh, Ovelia, I suppose, is a bastard to this uh, at Kashka line. So when his first two sons died, in an effort to avoid a war of succession, which we just got out of with the 50 Years' War, <laughs> yeah, the king uh-huh. adopts what his younger sister. He yes, adopts he his little sister. Now I've got an heir, right? Because she's old enough to not die as a baby anymore. Well, so he adopts his little sister, and then his wife bears him a son uh, again. So now the wife, Queen Luveria here, she wants her son on the throne, not the little sister who was adopted. Right? So Ovelia is in the way. Now she's a pawn. So you would think if anyone's going to kidnap Princess Ovelia, it would be the person who is allied with the queen, Duke Larg. But no, no, it was the southern sky who kidnapped her. Goltana is going to say he didn't do it, but obviously <laughs> it was under his banner, right? So that's what's going on with some deception thrown in there that we'll talk about when we get to when it's, you know, the deception is uncovered. But the reason Ovelia is kidnapped is because she is a pawn in all this. It would be right. her her half-sibling, I guess, her, her half-nephew, the two-year-old prince who uh, achieves the throne, or her. Right. And, and so now... Like she's in the way of Larg and Luveria and Goltana and this infant, this toddler. Yeah, right. And all of their machinations and all of the things that they've been angling toward for years. And yeah, she's just uh, a lot like, and this is not the last time this comparison will be drawn, a lot like Titra. She was just in the way. And, And one of the reasons I bring it up, one of the reasons I want to go through all of that is that all of that that's going on, it's not that it doesn't matter to our heroes, but it's not the story that our heroes are mostly focused on. Right now, they're focusing on they're focused on wanting to get Ovelia back because she was kidnapped. And why did Delita do that? But our the, the story that our heroes focus on is is against that backdrop of all the other things that are going on. It's not that it's not important, it's just not necessarily what this story ends up being about. It's, it's what uh, influences and spurs on the things that happen that our characters end up embroiled in, uh, which we're right. not even really to yet. Right, which is, it's funny and interesting. And that's one of the reasons why, and, and it's fair, and it's, again, based on the same real life lore, but why there are so many comparisons to Game of Thrones, which as you were going through all of that complicated stuff, I was like, man, Game of Thrones, eat your heart out. Like <laughs> character relations. There's a, a thing famously, and I think I learned about this. It's been a while since I've shouted out Resident Arc, but from their videos, uh, he tells a story of uh, Yasumi Matsuno sending like uh, big family trees and big like relationship plots to Hironobu Sakaguchi and explaining like this character has that relation to so and so. And Sakaguchi famously kind of responding like, 
man, this is going to be a really deep ass game. Like, this, <laughs> what, are, what are you making here? Like, all right, go ahead. You know, you know, and he let him do it. And he said, cool, you know, absolutely go right on ahead. But it's to your point, like, it's cool and fun. And, and this is can be similar in Game of Thrones, too, to like dive into all that lore and dive into all the past and learn all the names and really have it straight in your head if you want to, because it's all there and you can make a really cool fuller picture out of it if if you're one of the people who just loves inhaling your art and your stories like that but like you said if and you know especially like if you're listening to this podcast and you you, you've never actually played the game before and it was hard to like keep up with all of that it's okay (laughs) yeah it's it's this is ultimately still a story about ramza and delita and the, the people that they come to meet it's just that their lives are so caught up in this enormous current that they had nothing to do with starting either of these wars. Well, they had nothing to do with starting the first war. Delita's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, got a lot to do with starting the I was going to say, uh, Delita, yeah. But, you know, it's it, it's like, yeah, we're still, if you remember, the, the Order of the Northern Sky is where Ramza used to be. But he's like actively trying to get away from all of this. So he's really just going after his friend right now. And and I it, I think it's also important like I I don't know all that off the top of my head, right? I'm I'm rem- reminding myself with the wiki. Like I know the basics, but I'm not an Ivalisian War of the Lions scholar. Uh right. And and so part of the point being that what is important to these characters is influenced by everything else going on around them, but it's not necessarily that they are jumping into and want to make things turn out a certain way. Like all of this going on pushes and pulls and throws them around and they are a leaf in the wind of this chaos. Uh, so it's, it's important to at least bring it up, but that, that ultimately is not their goal. Yeah, yeah, it's it's almost the opposite of Final Fantasy VI, where like every single person has the stated explicit goal of stopping the Empire and then like, you know, Kefka or whatever. Or like that is not what Ramza is trying to do. He, like he's just trying to get away from this problem. It's just like these guys have been fighting wars for and it's great how like completely believable those two totally different approaches are, right? In the world of Final Fantasy VI, it just makes sense that we're introduced to all the people who have the most impact on the world and are the the driving forces of everything that's happening and anyone else who exists doesn't even really seem to be that important at all. And then here in Final Fantasy Tactics, we have these normal people who are, as you put it, pawns in this enormous game with all of these other machinations going on and they're just part of it, kind of swallowed up by it even. Yeah, yeah, because you can't escape it because, you know, that's why the peasants are revolting. That's why the Corpse Brigade existed, right? Because you, you can't, if, You either lay down and die or you've got to respond. Right. So our story picks back up with Ramza, Gafgarian, Agrius, and as always in this game, a a retinue of uh, soldiers who are loyal to any of their particular causes. Right. And they are on the trail of Delita, who has captured the princess and on their way, they end up being waylaid in the city of Dorder, which we have been to before, um, kind of a port city. <clears throat> and 
as we've talked about a lot in Final Fantasy Tactics, it does this thing where we we get what's going on at the place we're about to arrive just before we get there. And we see a guy clearly being bribed to fight us. Uh, there's some haggling going on. There's a little bit of threatening going on. A bit of back and forth over the price. And then we get this key point in a line of dialogue that I very much love because it, it gives us a clue about who is really involved here and the next big domino that's going to get involved in this entire thing. Yes, it's going to get more complicated. But I also just love that it, the way it's written, uh, just the comedy of it, when the guy finally decides, yeah, he'll he'll take the money and he'll do the killings that he needs to do. He says, done, and let it never be said that I was aught but a pious man. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic because what what he's threatened with, the, the haggling is, uh, you know, he wants more money, of course. And the other guy's like, you know how easy it is to brand somebody as a heretic? Oh, yeah. And dude's like, yeah. oh, oh, I see. <laughs> Come to think of it, your price actually sounds pretty good. And then, yeah, yeah let it never be said that I was ought but a pious man. This cell sword is clever, and uh, yeah. I enjoy that. And we've talked before about the uh, the role of religion in Final Fantasy, and it doesn't really come up a lot. I think, you know, we talked about it uh, in terms of Final Fantasy VI and the Warring Triad, who are all vaguely deific, or I guess actually they're explicitly deific, and then uh, Kefka ends up being sort of implicitly vaguely. deific. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, we talked about it a bit in Final Fantasy VII, where the Ketra seem to have this spiritual relationship to... Uh, the land and the life stream and, uh, of that uh, of that world. It comes up a little bit in Final Fantasy One because there are churches around where you can resurrect your allies, and that the the vampire has destroyed in one town. So it comes up, but it's it's not necessarily explicitly. It doesn't play a, an explicit role in Final Fantasy until now, and I think one of the big critiques of fantasy in general is that religion is almost always explicitly a bad guy. And I, I think that's a fair critique because it often is. On the other hand, uh, religion can can and has been used to hurt people in the past and now. And so it's not, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to parallel that historical truth uh, and perhaps critique giant organized religions in this way. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting because we basically are getting our second introduction here to the role of the church in this story. Our first being basically the opening shot after the, the first cinematic, where we get a very, you know, for lack of a better word, friendly or inviting Ovelia, who seems to be pious in all the ways we would think of as, as good. You know, and, and she seems to be doing the right thing. And she's got a knight by her side who is driven by honor and, again, doing the right thing and all of those kinds of stuff. So we've got that kind of introduction to a way of being religious in this world. And then we have this. <laughs> a guy clearly of the church using the potential to brand someone as a heretic as a threat while he's also paying him money to kill people. Yeah, at and below market value jerk yeah <laughs> right and he's ripping them off on top of it and then he's got 
all of this religious imagery that he speaks with. He claps back. I do love this. He says, I pray your newfound piety lends itself not to mercy. <laughs> and then he does the, and it's always a great time when you can get this line believably into any story, into any writing. The uh, sooner speak the devil's name than he doth appear. But it's put to great use here. It's like, hey, I'm bribing you to kill these people. Here they are. I'll leave you to your task. Rem- go with God, you know? And it's right. so, like, yeah. it reminds me of uh, the the corrupt religious people in um, Robin Hood, uh, oh, right. particularly, you know, the Prince of Thieves, which we watched a lot uh, uh-huh. as a kid, the Kevin Costner one. Do you the guy is really just a scumbag about it. Yeah, yeah. And then little John tosses, or no, uh, Friar Tuck tosses him out a window. <laughs> Spoilers for Prince of Thieves. Also, do you remember uh, Disney's Three Musketeers where Tim Curry plays uh, the Cardinal Richelieu? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> he, and yeah. he's a scummy, pretend religious guy, you know, wolf in sheep's clothing, right? right? The Pretending to be pious in order to take advantage of. Uh, and, yeah. Yeah. Also, Tim Curry, it doesn't matter how silly that Chris O'Donnell Frenchman no. <laughs> D'Artagnan it's, it's movie a silly is. Movie, I love but it. It's fun. And yeah. Tim Curry's yeah. great in it. She, yeah, he is. she says something like, uh, I would rather die. And he says, That can be arranged. That and it's just arranged. perfect. <laughs> anyway. Oh, that's, oh, yeah. I'm getting off topic. Uh, I even love this this next little bit where, you know, the cell sword begins to fight us. And when he realizes who it is, I get back to the just, overtaking of religious iconography or in the manner of ways people speak. He says, God speak good. That's Sir Gafgarian 700 ahead for this. Like he's already like, (laughs) I got screwed. (laughs) I'd have bounced right then and there. But again, now this guy's stuck. Yeah. Right. I mean, if he runs away and survives, he will be worse off than probably being dead is because now he's a heretic. Is he going to be tortured? Is he going to be captured and tortured? Gross. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so I, I'm, I'm going to jump in on your favorite thing that happens here just real quick. Gaffering yes. goes, ah, an ambush. This day grows lovelier by the hour. And Agrea says, if you'd not fight, the road home lies behind you, prick. And like she could have, le- she could have left it lie, right? She didn't have to, totally. she didn't have to respond to this. He's not coming after her, but right. any, He's any just opportunity. generally complaining. Right. Yeah. And, and I, I'm on and, her side too. Like, <laughs> screw this guy. Totally. I love it too, because that's like a classic line for like a coach in a sports movie. Like if you don't want to be a part of this team, there's the door. Right. But this is just a old fashioned way of saying it. <laughs> the road home lies behind you. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> twist that knife a little. It's good. And of course he won't let, he won't let it lie either. Right. No. It's also like the softest possible way to like challenge his manhood or like call him a coward, like very softly. Like you, you, you don't want, <laughs> he's like, ah, <laughs> yeah. Which, which a bro you. like Gafgarian can't, can't not respond to. Yeah. So he says, while I make no habit of charity, I could not well abandon. So goodly a wench to rogues. I'm sorry. <laughs> what did you just say about Sir Agreus Oaks? I don't think so. <laughs> what did you call me? Uh, uh, she just gives him a, a, a do not patronize me, sir, but a little late for that. Uh, and naturally, because remember, this isn't a, 
a great novel or a, a historical account. This is actually a video game, <laughs> <laughs> right? That, that, then you you fight the battle and and you kill the rogues because that's so far all we've done in this game is kill poor people. <laughs> yeah, ooh, yeah, that's gross. That right, not good. Uh, and some no. monsters. I mean, let's be clear, but true, true. Some of those monsters in the woods, I don't feel so bad about, but right. oof. Well, and it is worth remembering that these worlds are dangerous even without humanity doing its thing, right? Like, <laughs> right. Uh, I, I was Giant uh, monsters wandering the countryside. <laughs> exactly. I was replaying Final Fantasy fifteen recently, and it's like just you know wandering around, getting off the beaten path is a good way to get attacked by giant animals that seem to be highly territorial, even if they're not hungry. Like they're, they're not necessarily attacking because they want to eat you. They're attacking because you're in their spot. Or if you go out at night, a giant freaking iron giant monster will appear with a sword, you know, three meters tall to chop you in half. Like these worlds are dangerous anyway. Yeah. So, so speaking of danger anyway, a chocobo has gone a bit uh, far afield. Chocobo. There, there's a nice little side bit here where you are given the the opportunity to rescue a chocobo uh, who will will go by the name Boko, which is a nice callback to Final Fantasy V. You you can choose not to. You can do choice one, which is we should be on our way through the wood. Uh, we have little enough time as it is. We should pass through the wood and be on our way. Uh, and then Gafgarian will praise Ramza. Right. And okay, choice two, the correct choice in my mind is perhaps we could use him, which is a little, uh, like, you know, we could help him. Uh, and and yeah. Ramsel uh, will be like, Delita mentioned that wild chocobos are hardier than domesticated breeds. Uh, you know, perhaps he could be a mount. And Gafgarian's like, you intend to save the creature? I'd rather line my purse with gill than feathers. Like, shut up, dude. <laughs> and so uh, you can recruit the, the chocobo. I, I will also say, from a mechanical point of view, one of my frustrations with Final Fantasy Tactics is you can only take like five units in every fight and you end up with potentially like 30. And I want to have all my characters in the fight. Uh, so I know. That's a problem you... with every Final Fantasy as we've talked about in some exactly. way or another. Some do, yeah. But I agree. It's it. It's harsh in this one, man, because it's like such a big army, big, you know, so many characters as you mentioned. And uh, I was really happy to hear that that triangle strategy game, I believe it's 10 that you take into battle. Nice. Good. Yeah. And, and, but one of the things you can do is you can mount the chocobo, right? So I would like it if before a yeah. fight begins, you could, you know, have choose Boko and uh, somebody to mount him, right? You could, that, that'd right. be a way to get extra characters in. Or I, I've actually, get a little bit off topic, maybe combine characters who would make sense, right? So... Uh, we're going to meet a, a brother-sister duo here in a while. So why couldn't they be a single unit? Now you've got two characters with like with one turn. Right. If your concern is you don't want the fights to take five hours. Anyway. Yeah. What happens next? So as I'm realizing is just the custom of Yasumi Matsuno and that I never had an issue with it or ever necessarily even noticed it before doing this podcast is hilarious. But once again, I guess because our characters are always traveling, right? And so it makes sense to start, you know, get a set of what's going on at the place where whatever's about to happen, is going to happen. 
And so again, we are just sort of opened on a scene at a place our characters are about to arrive and stuff is going down. There's Delita in his shiny new armor, holding the princess back, seeming to defend her from knights on all sides. Wait, defend her? I thought he kidnapped her. Right? <laughs> so, so immediately, like, and this whole thing, by the way, I love this scene because everybody in it is doing something completely different. <laughs> and this just gets really, again, this is why scenes like this are so good. And all of that background information is good to have because it just adds to the depth of every little thing that happens next. So, a knight yells at Delita, Stand aside, sir, you are defeated. Surrender the princess, and no more blood must needs be spilt. And all of a sudden, Delita, I guess I shouldn't say all of a sudden, a year has passed and a lot has happened. Right. <laughs> so it's not sudden at all. But Delita is now a much more eloquent and wordy person. And what he's got to say is almost always just dripping with layers and <laughs> multitudes and yeah. So he responds, Do you enjoy the taste of lies? Your orders are to see the princess dead. And once I've watched you feed the falls of her blood, I'm to believe you'd let me live? A witness to your crime? Nice. Now wait a minute. Who? Now, who's kidnapping who? Who? Who's the bad guy and who's the good guy, Ira? Damn it. Right. I mean... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Goltana is the one who is the black lion who kidnapped her, except maybe, uh, I don't know. Who, who are these guys with? I, do we know? Right. And so they make it clear they are with the Order of the Northern Sky. Says, of course. He says exactly what you just said. Wait a minute. Now, no, she's. You're with Goltana. You fly the black lion's crest. We're. She's with us. We're, we're, what are you talking about? <laughs> Except obviously, obviously the queen would want her out of the way if she's as power hungry. So the, it would be the white lions who want to take her out. Uh, I'm so right. confused. I know, right? So just as nobody has any answers, our heroes arrive. Okay, heroes, our, our party sure. our, yeah. <laughs> arrives on the scene. And Agrius, of course, goes straight to her duty trying to save the princess. Which, you know what, for everything else that's going on, protecting Ovelia seems like an overtly right thing to do, like an obviously correct thing to do, whatever else is going on. She hasn't hurt anybody. The rest of these people, maybe maybe Delita's not so bad, right? But protecting Ovelia seems obviously correct, so we can hold on to that. Yeah, one thing I'm really hoping that we can do, um, I, I've planned to, is have uh, my friend Eli on the show and his wife to talk about uh, the historical ramifications and maybe even some of the Game of Thrones stuff that, that crosses over and some of the real-life stuff. Uh, and so I wonder if there's a real-life counterpart to this, but Agrius is very much Brienne of Tarth, for those of you that you know follow the Game of Thrones thing. Just like she swears her fealty to the person... And then she does right by the person. And there are a lot of people with very complicated goals and politics and things like that. And a lot of us really love that character because she's just so loyal and true. And while that may leave room for less nuance, 
you're right. It's it's very admirable in a way. And then, if things weren't confusing enough, the knight who's been arguing with Delita sees that Gafgarian has arrived as a part of our party and says, Excellent! Gafgarian is here! Kill them all! So, Gafgarian gives a very Gafgarian response, saying, Hey, a contract's a contract. Agrius does not take well to it, accuses him of betrayal, and he says, Betrayal? <laughs> you have a viper's tongue, milady. I betray no one. I am in the Order's employ. And they are of it. My task was to see the princess safely abducted. And theirs, to see the one responsible, silenced. Okay, so now we're being very clear about this This was a ploy, right? Obviously, this was this was a trick. The, the Black Lion did not kidnap Ovelia. No longer a question. Right. So does that mean that the White Lion did, or is, it, is this a third party? Because, ah... Uh, Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, right. Well, to, to get back into it before we go too far down any roads, Gafgarian then kind of explains what you were talking about earlier, the, the central thesis of the biggest political question. He just says the princess is an obstacle to the throne. So long as she lives, the threat remains that someone could assert her claim above Prince Ornus's. Two heirs are one too many. He's not wrong about that either. Right. And, 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 and it wouldn't necessarily... He, his point is not necessarily that Ovelia would make the claim, but that somebody else might make the claim on her behalf. Right. And we've already got these two people who want to be regent to Orneus. We don't need some... God, now we're going to have third, fourth, fifth parties if this Ovelia girl gets to stick around. Yeah. So then... Okay. Is everyone on board? <laughs> Because now Delita is going to... And again, the first time I played this, and even upon second and third times, I didn't realize how revealing this would be. Again, if you had the 30,000-foot view, viewing it through history's lens, you realize here and now, Delita knows way more than the rest of us. Like, he's figured some stuff out since he's been gone. This is going to sound very complicated. We're going to parse it, but here's exactly what he says. If her death is certain, speaking of Ovelia, right? If her death is certain, then let it least not be in vain. Kill her if you must, but let it be held she was taken by Goltana's men. Do that, and the stroke that fells a problem princess at once brings down a rival lion. That was no doubt Larg's plan all along. Or was it his? Such a plot has more the feel of Dice Darg's thinking. Would you not agree, Romsa? Dude. Because we know Ugh. Dice Darg is allied with Larg. We've seen them conspiring, except... That was maybe. how we were introduced to Larg, was we thought he was being very Dumbledore-y to us, and very... Oh, oh, they're kids. They went off to do a thing. And he and Dice Darg were being plotty, plotty, plotty bastards. And part of whatever their plots were included taking out Delita's sister because she was in the way. And now Delita is throwing that back at Ramza, saying, you know your brother plots, you know he's with Larg, and you know that staged kidnappings 
like they did with the Marquis Elmdor, are a part of their manipulations and their politicking. And so, if this is if y'all are really going to come in here and kill the princess because you're trying to stop this war of succession or whatever, he's he just says it like basically okay, but everyone needs to believe it was Goltana and not this other thing because otherwise Larg is his plots are working entirely. And, you know, he, he particularly uses dice Darg's name because he knows that's going to get Ramsa's attention. Certainly gets mine. He did a lot there. And without giving away too much of where the story is going, we, we can't explain all of it, but Delita just kind of put everyone in a spot. Yeah. Essentially. And and Gafgarian recognizes him for it. Yeah, he says, that one has the right of it, Ramza. Come and let us earn our pay. And Ramza cuts right back with, uh, you know what? He grew in the last year too. Yes, he did. Because he says, no, not again. I will not watch as sacrifices are made of the weak and innocent, she will not be another Titra. You invoke my brother's name, I invoke your sister's. Yeah. Like, yeah, absolutely. This is intense. <laughs> like, good lord. Whew. And so we duel. Right. <laughs> right. So again, just as another reminder of like how complicated the relationships and everything can be in this game, we end up fighting on the side of Delita with Ramza's retinue. The person we were chasing down, who we thought we were going to have to fight because he had kidnapped the princess. Now we're fighting alongside him and against the Order of the Northern Sky, who both characters grew up with, and against Gafgarian, who we arrived with. Right. <laughs> Right. <laughs> God, what this a is the fight mess. we're having now. Right, and, and he was trying disaster. to. Ramza was trying to get away from having anything to do with the Northern Sky, <laughs> which is why he right. hooked up with Gafgarian, who's just a mercenary. But Gafgarian was working for the Northern Sky. He can't get away. Right. He can't. So the reason yeah. we went over all the craziness that's going on is not because it necessarily is Ramza's goals or what the story is eventually going to be about but rather because he can't get away. It keeps pulling him back in. So again, this interesting Final Fantasy tactics thing where people are, I guess, yelling at each other across the battlefield while they're fighting and, and having conversations. But, uh, you know, now Rom's and Delita have, I guess, right, I would have maybe done this after the fight, but still they do the, hey, you're alive. Hey. <laughs> yes, I am. Yeah. Uh, but Delita then says, ever your lord brother's faithful hound? Hey, come on, man. I grew up too, jerk. Yeah, clearly neither one knows what the other's been up to in the last year. <laughs> right. Ramza's so showing that he's still a bit naive. Are you mad at me? Like, I, I didn't know about any of this stuff, man. What's going on? You know, what, what, and he says, do you now play party to their plots? You know, why, right. why are you getting involved in the politics, yeah, I'm man? trying to get away from it, and you're still embroiled in it. Come on now. And... Delita gives him 100% smiley politician face at this point. He goes, surely you jape, I came to rescue the princess. I would not see her made a tool for others to use to their own ends. Yeah. 
Uh-huh. Come back to that. Uh, <laughs> so Gafgarian interjects himself into the conversation and essentially accuses Delita of having been paid to kidnap the princess. He says, do not play the fool with me. Name the man who bought your sword. I, I think this is really interesting because on the one hand, Gafgarian is a sellsword. He, would, he wouldn't expect anybody to fight without getting paid, right? But on the other hand, like we know that Delita is not interested in following anybody's orders. And I think that's, I think that's really interesting. And, you know, uh, Gafgarian does what he does because he's paid to. Argath did what he did because he feels like it was his duty. He was just following right. orders. Delita is going to do what he does. Like nobody's going to point him at, at a foe but him. And I think that right. is fascinating. And I love his response. I sell my sword to no one. Do not count me among your lots. Like, oh, yeah. That's, yeah. That's, that's got, I bow to no one. You know, it's, it's that yeah. same kind of, yeah. 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 Also, apparently, during the fight, there's time for Ovelia and Delita to have a conversation. <laughs> well, they probably need to have a few. Yeah. I mean, he did punch her right in the gut. Right in the gut. And, you know, she's asking the same question we all are at this point. She says, tell me, sir, are you friend or foe? And Delita, who apparently has become a master of not answering questions, <laughs> replies... I am a human being, no different from you. Now that's something to say to a princess in this world. Right. Well, but, I mean, the, part of yeah. his part of his whole thing was the the whole last chapter was about it doesn't matter on which side of the castle walls you're born, right? So I like that right. he makes that point. I really do too. So once again, because we are good at the video game and I don't know, Ramza is a child of destiny or history or maybe a warrior of light or as light as this world can get, uh, we win the battle. <laughs> right, yes. And so Gafgarian is defeated, but he teleports away. Yeah. Which like, okay. Because otherwise, why would we let him live, right? Right. So this bit of the story wraps up with another one of these super beautifully sort of hand-drawn wood carving cutscenes that we get from Final Fantasy Tactics War of the Lions version. And so I think what we're going to do here is just play that cutscene and then talk about it on the other side. Let the princess with me. She will be safer in my care. What is this game you play with us, Talita? Game? I do no more than speak the truth. You've made an enemy of the entire Order of the Northern Sky. Where would you now take her? Think, Ramza. This was Duke Log's plan, and he would not act without counsel of the Queen. You cannot trust the Crown. Would you then turn to Goltana? No, that would be folly. He would only offer up your heads in hopes of keeping his own. And what so would you propose to do? 
I would do only that which you, my lady, cannot. You speak in nothings. So I do. But pay it no mind. I shall leave her with you for yet a while longer. Delita! I did not think we would meet again, but I'm glad we have. It was Titra. I like that every once in a while, someone in a story might say, okay, look, here's what's going on. Right, so Delita's like, there's there's no game here. She, they're gonna, you know, sh she would be safer with me because you can't trust the crown because they want her dead. You can't trust Goltana because he would kill the rest of you to protect himself. What, what do you expect to do? Like, we've been through this before. They wiped out the entire yeah. corpse brigade just because they were in the way. What do you think is going to go on here? Right. And, and he's not wrong, but I'm not sure that kidnapping the princess to protect her was especially clever because he got caught, right? Right. I also love that Ramza straight out calls him out for suddenly becoming a politician. You know, he says, you speak in nothings, which is what politicians do, right? And now Delita, now that it's maybe just the handful of them having this conversation, totally cops to it. <laughs> right, yeah. 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 I, yeah, I am. But... I'm also not wrong, but he says, you know, I'll, I'll leave her with you. And then as we've talked about so often in this game, so expertly the conversation so believably moves from the huge, big political machinations to the very personal. And they get back to we're friends. We grew up together. You know, is there any way, you know, they're just kind of dancing around that. Like, and then, of course, Delita starts to talk about his sister. It was Titra. She watched over me then, as she does now. is not our last. I owe you my thanks as well. But he's right. The northern sky will not be long in following us now. This is the path I've chosen. I don't often try to describe too much of the visuals in this because that's just one of the elements of the game. If you're not seeing it, you have to take our word that it's beautiful. <laughs> but there's a particularly remarkable transition during that where Delita's talking about his sister and he's looking at his own hand and her like pendant or necklace and then he's looking up at the sky. And as the camera kind of pans further into the sky which makes it all much more blue than the blue becomes the white of the clouds which become the white of the waterfall as they transition back to the conversation they're having in real time and it's just 
ah, it's like expert filmmaking and it's not a film. Right. Yeah. And so now we have a goal, right? We're going to go, we're going to, we're going to go to the Cardinal. The church uh, will help us out. So we'll go to the church city. We'll talk to the Cardinal. And, and that makes perfect sense because she's, you know, she was in this convent for a while. The, the old uh, priest, Simon, uh, who she was with at the beginning of the game, uh, seemed to have been a trustworthy guy. And the church does not, you know, they, they don't owe allegiance to either Larg or Gultana. That seems like a safe third party. So now we got a, we got a goal. We'll we can get her somewhere safe. And whatever else goes on, at least Ovelia will be safe. And I think that, you know, we already talked about how I think protecting Ovelia is an obvious worthy goal. Let's do this thing to at least protect her. And then we'll see if we can do anything else about the rest of this political nonsense. Right. So once again, it's back on on the road for a journey. Uh, This time off to Lionel. 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 The Cardinal. (laughs) To seek refuge in the Church of Galapagos. Galapagos? Galapagos. Galapagos? Galapagos. Galapagos. And surely nothing bad will happen. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening, and thank you to everyone who's reached out to us. Let us know what we got wrong, missed, or should have mentioned by reaching us on Twitter at FFWeeklyPod, or you can email FinalFantasyWeekly at gmail.com. Of course, the best way to get a hold of us is to become a patron. You can do that at either patreon.com slash dcproductions or patreon.com slash ffweekly. You'll get access to all these podcasts, some written content, some lists, some other fun random stuff we're starting to do, including more early hands-on impressions and reviews of modern games and stuff like that. So swing on by, see if it's something you think you might be interested in. You know we appreciate you all so very, very much. Make sure to join us next time when we continue to discuss the politics, the church, and the overlap in the world of Ivelisse.